as the plate uh, passes on, I want to ask you to open with me 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And right on at 2 Timothy, here's Paul writing to Timothy. And in this passage, just to give you a summary as you open your Bibles, in, um, uh, Paul is telling Timothy what it's going to be like, how people are going to be like and behave in the last days. Okay, so read it along with me. In fact, I think we have it up there. Uh, it says this, Second Timothy 3, I'm going to start with verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God and disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Pause there a little bit. We are not ungrateful. We are grateful people, are we? Are there any thankful people in this house tonight? All right. And people will be ungrateful. They will consider nothing to be sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel. People will be cruel and they will hate what's good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasures rather than love God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So Paul tells Timothy to stay away from people like that. What he's telling them is to say, don't, don't associate yourself with them because Timothy is not going to be able to reach them unless he associates himself with them. What he means there, he's saying, do not allow such people to influence how you're living. Basically, that's what Paul is warning Timothy here. You know, I was watching, um, I, I don't know what night, I don't know if this ever happens, laying down, flip the channel, and I real I, I caught on um, Donald Trump doing like The Apprentice. And it was funny to watch it a little bit because there was a team of the girls and the guys. And... Um, when it came to like losing and everybody's trying to save their behind, they were going at each other like crazy. And the friends that were working together were like, I don't even know you. What's that? You know? And that's exactly what the Bible is saying here. They're going to be betrayers of friends. I know it's our competition, but you can see the spirit is vicious. Yeah, I'm going to laugh at you right now. But when it comes to myself, forget you. And that's the attitude that Paul's saying, people are going to be like this in the last days. See, now that passage was written 1900 years ago. Maybe a little, you know. And the last days, it's been 2,000 years. Are there ever going to be any last days if it's been 2,000 when Paul was talking about this? Really what Paul is implying in that passage, in that particular context, is that the last days is the time after the time after Jesus had left, the era of human race after that, there's never going to be another time until the final judgment of Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, we had seen some judgments come, but they were not the final judgments. Remember in Genesis, talk about Noah, God wiped out all of humanity except for one family. So that was God's judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah was another example. But after the era of Christ dying and rising again, when he comes back to take his church, that's going to be it. That's what Paul is meaning here. And then if you read that passage, it kind of also talks about how 
as time as it gets closer and closer, it implies that these characteristics that you see on people, they're only going to get worse. And I don't think there's a time in history that's ever been as bad as it is now. I think you look at it and you can identify people right away from all the things that he's talking about. So guys, we are living in those last days. And if it's going to be hard, people are only thinking about themselves. They don't care about God. They don't, everything is about me, about me. Then how then are you and I as Christians living in these days going to be able to impact the world? Because as people get more educated, more sophisticated, they can do a lot more on their own and they become their own God. But the Great Commission has never changed. The last words of Jesus were, for his disciples, for Christians, for people who believe in him, is that go into all the world and preach the good news and telling them about me. See, that job hasn't changed. We still have the great commission at stake for us. But people are going to be haters of God, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. Think about that. What are they, even in the bad economy, what are the two um, uh, um, uh, industries that actually do the best still? Entertainment, sports, sports, for, uh, the, the athletes are paying better. They are paid better than CEOs. The movie stars get, get paid better than brilliant people, scientists that are, have brilliant minds, that they can do an amazing thing, but the athletes and the uh, entertainers are making a lot more money than they are. Lovers of pleasures are than the lovers of God. Those are the things that are drawing us. So a lot of people that could be here tonight are watching the game. Nothing wrong about the game. I watch the game. But it's a lot more fun to watch pleasure than to take an hour and 15 minutes to worship God and honor God and be grateful to God. We have to convince people. So in order for us, as Christians, to still fulfill the great commission for our generation that's going farther and farther away from God, it's going to take a lot more than just average Christianity to impact the world. Do you agree with me? Is average Christianity making an impact in the world? So if it is not, I think God then is requiring more of us And we're not an accident that we live in 2010. God appointed you, God appointed me to live at this time with this generation and we've been given the same commission these guys were given. To impact our generation with the love of Christ. It's going to take a lot more than average Christianity. So God's calling us back into radical Christianity. Because radical Christianity is what's going to make an impact and touch our generation. So I want to talk about radical Christianity. A call to the church to return to radical Christianity. I know some of you, when you hear the word radical, you already fringe. Where is it going with this? Let's pray first. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, O God. 
thank you for the forgiveness of sin that we find in your, our Savior. Thank you for the grace of God that is available to us tonight. I want we just ask, Lord, as we get into your word, we ask that you would help us to receive your word, be challenged by your word, be changed by your word, be encouraged by your word, so that we can be the people that you've called us to be in this time and this season, oh God. I pray that there will be revelation knowledge that will come to us even tonight as we get into your word, because your word is alive and your word is powerful. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I return to radical Christianity. See, the term radical has been misused, abused, and I don't even know what else. And so we have a misconception of what the word actually means. And so when you say radical Christianity, the first thing that goes into your head is the crazy nutso that are, you know, you're going to hell if you don't repent, or, you know, just let's go out and zoom and just yell in the streets. You know, that's what comes into your mind. Did it? Now, is that coming from the church or from the outside the church? See, they, they t- you take people that have taken things out of context. I went into, I just decided to Google radical Christianity and see what pops up. And they took even sometimes statements from great Christians, but they took a line, edited, and just twisted it and just like, these guys are crazy. You know, and some of them are crazy that are up there. But that's not what radical Christianity is all about. Okay, let me read for you the definition of the word radical. Okay, the, by, uh, the dictionary says this, that radical, it's relating to or affecting the basic nature of something and most important components about something. So, if that's the case, then radical Christianity can be translated as relating to or affecting the basic nature of Christianity or the most important features of Christianity. One of the disciples of Jesus asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus turned and said, sample up in two things. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's a basic component of our Christian faith. Love. Jesus said, you do that, you've done it all. When we love God with that intensity, it will not be difficult to love others. See, and everything follows along with that. See, we hear the word radical and we, we fringe. You don't want to be associated with being labeled radical because it's been said that, well, our society tends to think that anything radical is out of balance. And so, when you talk about radical, they think, boy, you're getting on the edge here. And so, in the fear of being labeled intolerant, you just don't want to be radical anymore about Christ. You don't want to be associated with 
what the world defines as radical. And as a result of trying to be politically correct, trying to make it so the perception isn't wrong, we've deleted the message that could save the world. We deleted the one good news that the world needs. Individual Christians, denominations change their own doctrine, you know, churches, and moving away from that basic uh, principle of, uh, of Christian, uh, Christianity. I'm um, giving you a couple examples of where that term's been used. Islam is a religion of peace. But it's radical Islam that it's really bad. They're the guys that blow up people everywhere they can go. Don't destroy America. Here's the thing I ask. If that's true, why aren't the moderate Muslims not standing up so strongly and condemning the terrorists, the cowardness that's going around, blowing people everywhere they could get. Have you ever had any moderate Islam propagating with a loud voice and say, hey, we con- this is not our religion? They say, yeah, good job, guys. You know, or they say, radical, Christianity is good, but radical Christianity, you want to stay away from that. So we close our ears to what radical is. So I am going to give you five points or five areas of our faith with Christ that I believe the church needs to get back to express the radical nature um, uh, and that we will impact our world if we get back to becoming radical Christians again. Okay, um, I'm going to just give you five remarks here. First one is radical love. So the greatest thing about Christian faith is about love. Second is radical faith. Third is radical witnessing. The Great Commission is still intact. And then radical worship. And uh, to close, I'm going to give you on radical giving. With radical life, if you look at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, say this, Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. You love one another, in the same way I've loved you, love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for each other. When the world critically looks back to the church, do they see us loving one another like Jesus said we should? Or do they see us just being the same as everybody else? You can begin to think about some of the reasons why churches split. Nasty things. In fact, pastors are some of the most radical people by Christians. Some guys even have websites dedicated to attacking pastors. And dispelling, you know. And the world sees that. And they say, I don't want part of this. I want to be a part of it. 
If we begin to laugh like Jesus loved in the world that we live today, that's radical Christianity. When we consider others better than ourselves, when sometimes you've got ambitions, you've got goals, you think like you have a voice, something you want to say, but you know, I'm going to lay it down for my friend. I'm going to lay it down for my brother. I'm going to humble. When we begin to laugh like that, when in the world everybody's just trying to get above the other, and they'll do whatever it takes, step on people just to be ahead, that is love. And what Jesus is talking about here, it's just how you love one another. He's talking about his church. No, he wants us to love the world, but he says, they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. Now, I can't speak of for other churches out there, but if we exercise this at City Church, there will be some amazing things that would happen. Because people like authenticity. They can come in and know if it's fake or it's real. That's this generation. They don't want you to cover, coat, sugarcoat anything. Love with a hook or anything. No, they want authenticity. And if they find authenticity, they want it. If our love isn't authentic, they don't want a part of it. So, one just challenge us to become radical in how we love. A couple weeks ago, I was reading about this little girl in Colorado Springs, 1998, born, um, uh, the shooting in um, the school there. You all remember that? Some of, the, some, of, some of them were not born or they were too young, but in that school, there was a young lady that was radical for Christ. She was a popular girl and everybody knew, but she specifically targeted kids that were not in the groups, that were not in the clique, they were being left out of everything, and she would go in and share the love of God with them. And, you know, and she would write down whatever God would tell her, and she would, her prayer was like, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. So she was a radical Christian, and she loved radically. When the shooting happened at Columbus High School in Colorado, hmm? Columbine, 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 thank you. What did I say? Columbus. Good. Anyway. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> I was thinking Kenya, maybe. <laughs> Her name is, I was Rachel Scott. And I think a lot of people ended up knowing who she was. She ended up being the first person to be killed. But she was shot three times. First two times, She's still gasping for her life. Then the kids that were crazy, they came back to her. And you know, before they actually killed her, they asked her, do you still believe in God? That was the last question they asked her. She goes, you know I do. Then they killed her. Turns out later that when people started reading what she was writing, she had a phenomenal relationship with God. And she was so passionate about reaching others with the love of Christ that she prayed this daily. And to this day, she died very young. To this day, her life is making an impact. 
You know, they've started all kinds of things that in the school system that are teaching about relating to others and, you know, to be considerate about others. And her life is being used as a testimony over and over and over again. It would have been hard for her parents to lose a child so young, but her life was purposeful. For the time she had, she had an impact. This girl challenged me to love radically. She went for the outer and outer. The kids that didn't have a place in the school. You know, kids can be very cruel. As adults, we know how to fake it. I give you a hug, I can smile at you. <laughs> I want to shoot you <laughs> inside. But kids, they don't have the maturity to, to fake it. <laughs> they say mean things to each other. Schools are some of the most cruel places a kid goes through. I remember, I know some kids who are nasty, and they'll say nasty, nasty things to your face. And she went for those kids to, to show them the love of God. God's calling us to that place of love again, to love radically like Jesus did. Second point was the radical faith. Radical faith. Look at Mark chapter 16 with me. It talks about, and starting with verse 16, it says this, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And they, when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord walked in with them and confirming his words with signs and wonders accompanying it. That's what Jesus said. We're not seeing it in the church happening a lot. He said, this is what's going to happen to people that believe in me. We've seen it. We see it in the church here and there. But not the same way it happened in the first century in that Christians. So what's happening is that we become very, we become very sophisticated, we become more educated, we rationalize everything that God says. See, people, when they were getting the gospel the first time, they didn't even have the New Testament like you and I do. They only had the Old Testament. But they believed God as it, at, uh, at his word with very little theology in their head. Because they didn't believe with their minds, they believed with their hearts. But we want to get it here. Once it's rational, we'll take it here. But they just be, when they saw the word, right in here, they say, God, you said it, we're going to do it. You see, you, you go to, if you've ever been to like third world countries where the gospel is moving, even uh, in places where Christianity has, uh, has not been the dominant religion. Um, like in the villages in Africa, you go out to China, the underground church in Asia. Those Christians are seeing miracles happening every day. 
And they don't have the Bible as we do. They don't have churches like we do. They don't have the resources to get the gospel like we do. But the Lord's doing amazing things um, uh, in those places. We need to get back to that faith, the radical faith. You see, Christianity is not as complicated as we make it. It's a simple truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a simple truth about God's love. It's a simple truth about God. But we've made it so complicated. Apostle Paul says, my preaching and my teaching did not come out of enticing wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that your faith is not built in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Christianity is about the power of God, not the wisdom of men. So as as simple as the message is, built on the power of God, amazing things can happen. We can lay hands on the sick with the expectation that God said that when we do it, it's going to happen. We don't pray in hope, we pray believing. We had a meeting here last night, and I just enjoyed watching Pastor Joe uh, speaking, you know, and um, the faith of God said, this is what we're going to do. And the, fa- the faith was there. And people believed God at his word. And as we do that, don't worry about explaining this, explaining that. The gospel is powerful. It's God's word. It's not our word. When we communicate it with faith, God accompanied their word with signs and wonders. Don't have to explain. If I came in and I was sick, and God touched me and I was healed, we could debate all along. I know what happened to me. And when people get touched with the power of God, that's all they need. Remember the blind guy that Jesus healed and there's all kinds of people saying stuff in the city? He looks like the guy. And they were debating, oh, that's not him. They're just going to look, resemble each other. And he came back and said, you know, I don't care whether you believe me or not. All I know is that I was born blind. I couldn't see. And now I can see. And when we come back to the radical faith again, believing God and his word, people will be touched by the power of God and we don't have to be theologically savvy to convince people. The power of God works for itself. Our job is to to show them the love, to bring him in, to share, to pray, to lay hands on the sick with the expectation that God will touch them. We need radical witnessing. Um, I think this scripture was very interesting. It's also found in Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the next chapter from what we, our original text there. Paul goes on and says, I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking. I started with verse 1. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is uh, the judge and the final Christ himself is the judge with the final say of everyone, living and dead. 
He's about to break into, uh, break into the open with his rule. So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. What's that? You're going to find out that um, uh, there will be times when people will have, will have no stomach for solid teaching. But will fill up, the, uh, up on their spiritual junk Catch your opinions that tackle you, that tickle you. Keep your eye on what you are doing. Accept the hard times as long as with the good times. Keep the message alive and do a thorough job of God, as God's servant. Um, uh, Paul's telling him, keep it simple. Preach the message with intensity. Um, uh, in the passage we just read at the beginning in, uh, in 2 Timothy, you know, if you read, I'll let you go home and read it on your own. Um, Paul gives um, Timothy an example and saying, hey, just like Moses, there are some people that oppose Moses, they're going to oppose you. See, Moses, I, think the, I find this to be very um, uh, phenomenal. Moses has this experience with God. One that you and I, neither, I, don't think, I don't know if any of us have had such an experience with God. He's looking at a bush that's burning. You know, he has like one of those tangible experiences with God. He gets directive from God. And he knows God's proved himself that it's me. Yeah. Look up, you know. This whole massive creation. I did it. Moses gets a direct audible voice from God and says, go out to Egypt Go tell Pharaoh that he needs to let the slaves go. Let my people go out. So Moses has been commissioned. He's got a job to go out. Then Moses goes back to Egypt. He does what God tells him. Pharaoh, I have a message from God. God wants you to let his people go. Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, who's that? Why should I? Did Moses hear from God? Did Moses have a commission from God? Was he told by God to do something? In fact, rewinding it further in that story, Exodus chapter 4, you go read it. Moses goes to the Israelites, the guys that are supposed to be set free. He goes, you know what? God gave me a message for you guys. He wants you guys to no longer be slaves, to go out, start your own country and all that. They look at him, they didn't believe him. And the Bible says that Moses had to convince the Israelites first. Then he had to convince Pharaoh, which he tried. Okay, if that was the case for Moses, and we read about the last days and how even harder people are going to be, what makes you and I think that witnessing is going to be easy for us? Because you see, we've settled down at the church as Christians and we're not sharing the gospel with people because we think, well, if it's not happening, it must not be God's time. God's given us a commission. He didn't promise that it's going to be easy. He said, I will be with you. He promised not to leave us, but he didn't say that it's going to be easy. But we want the moon, the stars, the sun to line up perfectly before we witness. 
It must not be God's timing. If we live like that and continue to do church that way, hundreds, millions of people in our generation will spend all eternity in hell, in the lake of fire, in separation from God. Each generation has the responsibility to witness to their generation about the love of Christ. It's not going to happen. Church, it's not going to get easy. And it's not going to happen unless we become radical in witnessing. If it wasn't easy for Moses, who had a direct word from God, it's not going to be easy for us. We want to be comfortable. Let's come on and watch football. It's like, you know, God's good. It's like, ah, yeah, not good timing. Next time, (laughs) we'll go golfing, you know. We come up with some sophisticated evangelistic um, uh, um, uh, strategies. Whoa, friendship evangelism. Let's try this, this formula, this, that, this, that, this, that. Where's that in the Bible? He said, the Bible says that we should be seasoned, our message should be seasoned with salt. We should be creative. They said we shouldn't be creative, but be prepared for opposition. Be prepared to convince them. The Bible says, be ready so that if anybody asks you what you believe in, you'll be able to communicate to them. So God just wants us to, to be radical, to look at the world with God's love. Look at them as being people that are walking away without having an opportunity to get their life to Christ. When we look at people in that eye that we can introduce them to a relationship with God, then we will be sharing more often. And I'll go through the second, the last two very quickly here. Running out of time. One, um, um, the radical worship. Get back to some real worship. Like David worshipped the Lord. He was a kid when a lot of the Psalms he wrote. A kid just, just expressed out of his heart how he loved God, his affection for God. We are called to do the same thing. We need to get back to some real worship. Jesus said that he is God's looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, Psalm 43 says that he has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God that many will see and be amazed and they will put their trust in the Lord. So our worship, our authentic worship can be used for witness. Sometimes we want to water down worship because we think that non-believers will think it's weird. Worship is not about us, it's about God. And worship ushers in the presence of God. When we come to worship, we need to real really worship and not care about what's going on. God is the only one that can operate into people's side. And they'll be in God's presence. God will touch them. Let God do what he knows how to do, is to touch our hearts. We need to be real in our worship with God. We need to be authentic. But I would say that when he puts a song in our mouth, that many will see, they will hear, they will, another translation says that many will see and fear, which basically, they will respect God because of our worship. And they will, in return, put their trust in God. 
radical giving. Um, we read a uh, passage there. You know, God's the one that plants, that provides seed to this farmer. And God says that he will make us. Second Corinthians 9, I'm going to read it out. Remember this, that a farmer, a farmer who plants only few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a great crop. You must each decide in your heart how to give. And don't, re- don't give reluctantly or at a response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God is, will generously provide all your need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left after to share with others. As the scripture says, therefore freely give generously to the poor, then the good deeds will be remembered forever. God is the one that provides for us. It's not our job, it's not our businesses, it's not what. He uses those things as an avenue to bless us, but that's not the source. God is the source. What happens when my paycheck isn't enough to pay my bills? I mean, mean, a lot of people like that. God is the one that supplies for us. And he says when we give, let's not do it because we're being pressured. We should think about this. If we walked in generosity like this as Christians, think about how effective the, our churches can be. Because I know a lot of great churches that want to have huge visions. They want to do a lot for the gospel, but they just don't have the money to get the work done. Because it takes money to do a lot of ministry. And the religious spirit will say, oh, we need to be humble as Christians. We don't need no money. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. And, uh, you know, didn't have a house. Truth be told, if you go into the mission field, you guys have been to mission field a couple of times, it costs money to go. It costs money to get these lights up. <laughs> it costs money to go, you know, if we were very generous like God's talking about, he says, if we allow the spirit of regenerosity, that gener- radical giving to apply, he will continue to multiply our seed and increase it. And then we, as a result, the church will be expanding and Things will be get done for the gospel. I want you to watch this video with me here. Maybe. That one. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, it's not going to work. It's a good thing, though, because I went way longer than I was planning. Why don't we stand up together? <laughs> you know, if God's speaking to you tonight in any of the areas that maybe you have not been expressed a radicalness and you want God to kind of ignite your faith again in any of those areas, maybe all five of the points, maybe a few of the points. Would you raise your hand? We're going to pray today that God will impact us tonight with the Holy Spirit. And He'll give us the grace. Amen. Praise God. Father, we just want to 